1: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, December 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as the pandemic stresses Mississippi's health care system, the State Medical Association explains how residents can reduce the toll on hospital staff. Then, the state's largest historically black university uses a CDC grant to help raise public awareness of the coronavirus. Plus, enrollment in public schools is down this year, especially among kindergartners. We examined some of the factors contributing to the reduction. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio coronavirus hospitalizations in Mississippi are at an all-time high, now topping 1,100 confirmed COVID patients. Health officials say the Thanksgiving surge in virus cases are just starting to be reported, and with hospitalizations a lagging indicator, more strain could be coming on the state's hospital system. Dr. Mark Horn, president of the Mississippi State Medical Association, says at this rate, there are not enough trained staff to hire in The state. He tells our Kobe Vance while transmission of the virus is localized, the effect of the surge on the Mississippi hospitals is uniform.
2: This rise uh, in cases has been a real challenge uh, around the state. Uh, Community spread is still a local phenomenon. In other words, some places are worse than others. But this utilization, this high utilization of hospital beds and particularly of intensive care unit beds, Is affecting the entire state uniformly. Um, uh, It's a real problem. It's only going to get worse in the coming days. Uh, We don't see any reason to believe we've hit our peak thus far. So we believe this is going to get worse in the next week or so. We do hear stories around the state about how challenging it has become and I do know that locally for us here in Laurel and around the state that getting enough nursing staff, particularly intensive care unit nurses, getting enough ancillary staff, things like respiratory therapists and clinical assistants and nursing assistants. This is a real challenge.
4: Back in the early part of the pandemic, you know, the strain was on actually just not enough beds to, to keep patients cared for. Um, but there was always a way to you know make another bed temporarily or stuff like that. But it seems like uh, staffing is a much more constrained issue. Um, what what would be different from staffing constraints than from having just two little beds to put patients in?
2: So uh, to me, the critical nature is the time frame in which it takes to correct the problem. So if I don't have enough hospital beds, perhaps you can set up a temporary, you can take a building and put beds in it. And if you've got the staff, you put the staff in. So in other words, we can find physical space in which to place beds, and in which to provide medical care to people. That part, initially that was a problem, but I think that problem has been primarily fixed. What I can't fix quickly is something that takes years to develop. So I can't develop experienced intensive care unit nurses or, ex- or experienced med surge nurses in a few weeks. It takes years for those people to gain their education, and become skilled at doing that. Uh, Respiratory therapist, another critical part. If you're in the hospital with COVID-19, you probably need a respiratory therapist. And that, again, is a multi-year process, particularly to develop one who's experienced in intensive care uh, patients. So it's a multi-year process, and there's absolutely no way to solve the staffing problems in the time frame that will be required for this surge, it cannot be done.
4: Could you talk a bit more about what what are we looking at in terms of uh, death rates? Are, are is that going to go up in the coming weeks? Do you anticipate?
2: The information has been there, but we've been measured in talking about it because we don't want to be called fear mongers, and we don't want to uh, unnecessarily. Uh, we, we certainly never want to panic people. Having said that, we've been talking about it all along, but we've been more genteel about it. And now it's here. And <clears throat> Dr. Dobbs, uh, my recollection is, said that, you know, if you look at what's happened in the past week or so, if we kept at that rate, it would be about – a uh, you could project if things did not change. If, if we don't change things, you could project roughly – a thousand deaths for the month of December. Now, will that come to pass or not? We don't know. That kind of depend it depends a great deal on what the public does, how seriously they take this. If they don't take it seriously, yeah, well, we could easily have a thousand deaths in December. I hope not, but that really depends on the public. It's not going to depend on what Dr. Dobbs does and what I do because we're doing everything we can. So what has to happen is have to be there needs to be fewer cases. If you look back, so instead of projecting forward what deaths might be, you can simply look back. If you look at 2017, 2018, 2019, total mortality, that's deaths from all causes. So take that number. Then take the number from the same time frame from January to, to the data that I looked at today, we're through December the 4th. And you will see over an 18, a greater than 18 percent increase in mortality in 2020 versus those previous three years. That's more than 5,000 people dead this year than at the same time on average for the past three years. Now, you could ask yourself, well, are all of those COVID? Well, if the, the numbers don't say that they are. But you do have to ask yourself, if there were up 100, patient, 100 deaths or 200 deaths, you might say, well, that's just variation. And eight, oh, greater than 18% increase is not normal variation. That means something has happened. Then you have to ask yourself, well, what has happened?
4: Where should Mississippi be on messaging right now?
2: You know, masks are super important, but I don't want people to believe that by saying masks, the reason we focus on masks so much is they're the easiest part of the whole process. It's, it's so simple to put on a mask. It's not that it's necessarily the most effective. Uh, personal distancing and avoiding large groups is probably the, the uh, most effective, but that's a bit harder to explain to people. We say it, but then they say, well, what does that mean? Uh, six feet's not magical. Ten feet is safer than six feet. Twenty feet is safer than ten feet. Staying out of large groups is super, particularly if they're people that you're not with all the time. So um, it's all these things together that make a difference, and we keep saying them because they're still true. The, the simple basic truths are still there. So, you know, what can we do? What can I tell people to do? Uh, I'm going to keep saying the same things we've been saying. Personal distancing. Keep your holiday gatherings tiny and nuclear. This one Christmas season, this one holiday season, Let's keep everything simple and small. Get to the finish line, like Dr. Dobbs said on Friday. Take as many people with you as you can. And that means slowing down, taking a breath of COVID-free air, putting on a mask when you're around other people, avoiding gatherings, and just doing the simple, basic things.
4: Dr. Mark Horn is president of the Mississippi State Medical Association. Dr. Horn, thank you for your time. Thank you so very much.
1: Coming up, the state's largest historically black university uses a CDC grant to help raise public awareness of the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's largest historically black university is launching a new campaign to raise public awareness about the dangers of the coronavirus and effective mitigation strategies to stop it. Jackson State University received a grant of over $400,000 from the Centers for Disease Control to implement the program. Joyce Buckner Brown with JSU's College of Public Health says the marketing strategy initially focused on reaching black young adults 18 to 29 years old, but they're expanding it in 2021. She tells our Desiree Frazier messaging from the university has gone a long way with Mississippi's black communities.
5: This our the African-American community has not been as swayed as much as the white community by the mixed messages that we were getting from the, uh, the, the uh, White House. So and the Jackson State University is the head of lot of uh, messaging to our students as well. And so they get frequent information from JSU BLAST, uh, Mississippi State Department of Health. Dr. Dobbs has actually spoken and um, had a meeting with local pastors here, I think 22. So we've had concerted efforts coming from different directions.
6: This project, how long will it go on and when will it start? It began
5: uh officially August first, and it will end july thirty first of next year
6: and so what are you doing to gear up have have you already you know are the talks that you had was a part of that?
5: We created a really robust uh, marketing communication plan when we wrote our scope of work the Pandemic was really uh, having a detrimental impact on African American communities, which is one of the reasons we received the money. And so, by by large, we had a huge incidence of the 18 to 29 age cohort. Um, So, we created a messaging campaign just for them. We also created uh, six town halls. The first one will begin in January. The town halls will be uh, on social media. The first one would be with our president, our provost, uh, Dr. Dobbs, the public health commissioner, state officer, and Dr. Uh, uh And so we have the second would be dealt with clinical trials, which is timely as well, because we have a vaccine that should be introduced at the end of the December. And as you were, uh, I'm sure, really aware, African-Americans have the distrust, mistrust, of uh, the medical community for various reasons. Most people highlight the Tuskegee studies, but there, uh, we, there were problems way long before that. But anyway, we're not trying to convince anyone to take the vaccination. We want an informed public.
6: Well, Miss Buckner-Brown, we appreciate you so much for taking the time to speak with us and for uh, sharing some insight on this project.
5: Absolutely.
1: Tamika Stewart is a doctoral student at JSU. She says effective messaging is needed because too often people resist change.
7: People I hate to say it like this, but is is often noticed noted that it's hard to change a behavior. People don't like change. It's hard to get someone to do something different that they just don't want to do. And when it comes to something that is scary, unique, foreign or strange, is even more difficult. Um, so I think it's a uphill battle to get it to become something that they are used to. But I think as a public health professional, behavioral special specializing in behavior, I think it's first of all, it's important. I think it's our job to not just say wear a mask. Because if you tell me across the street I'm not sure why you're saying to cross the street. Will I just go across the street because you say so? Probably not, especially if I don't know you. If you're my medical doctor, I might be like, okay, at least he's a medical doctor, I might go. But as a public health professional, we have to allow people to know that we know what we're talking about. Give them the statistics, give them the facts, give them the research. Let them know why wearing a mask, staying six feet apart, why shields are important, why small groups, important Because if they don't know the why, it's going to be much more difficult to get them to act accordingly.
6: And even though, you know, you're targeting African-Americans, this disease doesn't pick color. Would it be fair to say this is something that has broad implications for everyone?
7: I think it's fair to say that. I think that, um, well, one of the things that Jackson State, the whole thing they were saying was, because of our African Americans' um, background disposition, they may be more um heavily impacted. However, yes, I mean it is crazy or uh, it's all it's, uh, how much on both sides, no matter what color black, brown, white, that is infecting and I think, therefore, that I don't want to say like this, but this is one word that's coming to me right now, the Great Equalizer that no matter what color you are, you need to practice safety. No matter what community you live in, who your parents are, which your job title is, you have to practice safety. Because, again, even if you don't have any symptoms, you might be a healthy carrier, and that happens more times than not. And people are not realizing that.
6: Well, Tamika Stewart, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about this. Thank you.
1: Oh, that's it. Oh, thank you very much. Coming up, enrollment in public schools is down this year, especially among kindergartners. We examine some of the factors contributing to the reduction. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
6: Have you seen Mississippi educators teaching lessons on MPB Classroom TV? Just as they would in an actual classroom, the teachers provide instruction targeted to the specific needs of students in Mississippi. All of the lessons align with state education standards. Whether you watch on TV or online, you might just see a familiar face of a teacher you know. Visit education.mpbonline.org to learn more. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
1: This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. A new report from the Mississippi Department of Education shows a continuing decline in public school enrollment in the state, with kindergarten enrollment seeing the largest drop. More than 4,000 fewer kindergartners enrolled during the 2020 academic year compared to the same time last year. Over the previous three years, kindergarten enrollment dropped by a cumulative total of 1,015 students. Meanwhile, homeschool enrollment increased, removing an additional 6,000 731 students from public school attendance roles. Nancy Loom is executive director of the Parents Campaign. She examines the factors of declining enrollment with our Michael Guidry.
0: What we're seeing today is consistent to some degree with what we have seen in recent years, which is pretty significant out-migration and population, population loss in Mississippi generally. Um, I saw a recent report that said that Mississippi has experienced a net loss of of nearly 47,000 people over an eight-year period, and that a a huge portion of that loss was young adults. So that means we are losing young families, and that shows up in our public school enrollment, particularly in the lower grades but clearly we are also seeing some some very significant enrollment loss due to the pandemic this year at the start of the school year parents were really frightened and understandably so many of them felt that they were having to choose between a potential long-term negative health effect and potential academic loss. And that was a really hard choice for them. And and I think that's reflected in the numbers that, that MDE released about um, late enrollments in school. Parents were just having a really hard time making up their
3: minds. A little over 1,600 uh, this year compared to only 208 late registrants last year. Uh, another place of increase that could be attributable to the pandemic and maybe you can provide more insight uh, is homeschool enrollment we've seen a jump from nearly nineteen thousand last year to almost twenty five and a half thousand this year what trends are you seeing um, when it comes to parents shifting towards homeschooling and does this number indicate pandemic concerns as well
0: I think so I, absolutely I think so and and what we're seeing is that um a lot of these people are relying on virtual schooling for their children because they were afraid to have them learning in person in the classroom and exposed to uh, COVID. But what we're also seeing, not only in Mississippi but nationwide, is that um, virtual schooling has not been uh, a, a good way to educate children. If there's anything that this pandemic has taught us about education, it is the value of a, a great teacher and in-classroom learning. Anyone who thought that virtual learning would replace in-person learning, I, I think we've we've learned a good lesson that um, virtual learning just does not meet the, the expectation that uh, we have for what our children should be learning every year. And we're seeing this with as children come back into the classroom, they are way behind. Um, and so it, it's going to take us a while to recover from that. I think parents, again, uh, many of them made the decision that it would be easier to overcome academic loss than a potential um, negative health effect. But um, we're going to have some serious work to do to overcome those learning losses
3: Mississippi does not have a a mandatory pre-k program. So for many Mississippi families and kids, kindergarten is where public education begins. The Department of Education is reporting um, a massive drop um, when compared to the, the, the trends over the last three years in kindergarten enrollment. Is this a reflection of parents, perhaps, just saying, hey, we'll hold off one year and and try to make up the losses later on or is this a sign of something else
0: no i think we i think we can attribute it largely to fears related to the pandemic but it is very serious in terms of the learning loss because the, that is the, that kindergarten year is so important to learning to read that is a skill that really needs to be taught in person face to face so these students are going to be well behind the curve um, for the large, in large part when they return to the classroom. But, you know, our school districts are thinking about that. They're very concerned about that, and they're working on ways to meet the challenge, and I know that the officials at the Department of Education are thinking about those things.
3: What, in the midst of all of this, with all of this contextualized, what are some of the priorities you'd like to see the legislature take up as you know, education in Mississippi has to deal with all of this learning loss as a result of the pandemic, the the added workload of teachers, all those things? What are some priorities you'd like to see the legislature take up this session?
0: Well, of course, resources are going to be important um, so that schools are able to hire enough teachers um, to give students the individual attention that they need. We know that class size is particularly important when children are trying to overcome deficits. And so school districts need to have resources that are sufficient to allow them to hire enough teachers to meet that particular need. We are also going to need to continue to see uh, an increased investment in early childhood education and um, special education. We We need to have special education fully funded in Mississippi. We know that parents of children with special needs were particularly worried about having their children in classrooms during the pandemic, and many of them kept their children at home. So it's really important. That the legislature fund all of those teaching slots that the individual districts qualify for, so that all students have the special education teachers that they need. Um, and there, there are lots of you know we'll, we need to continue to invest in literacy, um, all sorts of things across the board. And and also, I, I think a real need that has been highlighted in the during the pandemic is the need for some social emotional help in classrooms um or in schools. So those are all things that we believe, I believe the legislature is going to be looking at and considering. Um, we have been very pleased that this legislature has really been supportive of public schools and I am very hopeful that they will continue to be moving forward and they will be smart and forward-thinking as they consider how we invest in our state moving forward.
3: Well, Nancy Loom, Executive Director of the Parents Campaign, uh, we value and appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it.